We learn about how to build a home improvement company. We learn about our products. Selling a business is a whole nother learning curve. It's a whole different oh, skill yeah. set from terminology to process to the specialists you need to be successful. When done properly, look, it can be an exit of your dreams. And when done incorrectly, it can be an emotional roller coaster too. We just heard a story about husband and wife team that we know well, not in our business, but they had an exit that you would not celebrate. And it was sad because they're good people and they worked really hard to build a business and it wasn't a great exit for them. They basically just got out. Have you ever felt like there's a secret club of successful contractors and you're left outside? Want in? Well, you just found the entry door. Welcome to the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. Each episode, we pull back the curtain, revealing the stories, strategies, and secrets that top leaders use to grow their home improvement business and enjoy more success, more wealth, and more freedom. Discover more at thewealthycontractor.com. Now let's get into today's episode. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. And with me today is uh, none other than Brian Gottlieb, formerly from Tundra Land, formerly RBA of all of Wisconsin. Yeah, Yeah. mostly Wisconsin, most of all Wisconsin. (laughs) Most of all Wisconsin. Brian has been on the podcast before. So I don't know if we need to go too much into the backstory, although some of it will come out in what we're going to talk about today. But Brian and I uh, were just chatting before we went live about what would make for a really interesting and good podcast episode. And uh, we thought we would talk about a very popular topic right now, getting acquired, getting a company to come along and write you a big fat check. Getting across the finish line. That's right. Yeah. And what's interesting, so, you know, Brian, you've acquired businesses, you've sold three, I think, of your companies you've sold. So this is a topic that you know very, very well. What's interesting is, you know, whether you're selling your business or not, every morning when you get up, you have to make a decision on, uh, you know, somebody else isn't writing you a check for it you're writing yourself a check for it because you're getting up and going to your office every day. And so why not make it the best it could possibly be? Because I think people get this idea in their head, well, I want to sell my business and I want to get a big fat check for it. And I want to go retire off into the sunset. And there are certain things that need to be done in order for it to even be a target, to even be looked at, let alone to to get an LOI let alone to get it all the way through to the close. So why not do all of those things and prepare the business ahead of time, whether you're going to sell it or not? So with that send up, here we go. How do we sell our business? (laughs) What does the business have to look like to to sell it? Your your point's a great one because even if you don't sell it, great. You have a really well-run business because of it. And a lot of the things that you talk about at Accelerate, you know, by plugging those things into a business are one of many things that makes a business sellable. But you're right. I've had the very good fortune of selling three home improvement companies and acquiring another home improvement company. And I'll tell you what, I remember when I, I remember when I first learned about sunrooms. Okay. I'm going to share with you a quick story. Okay. I went to a basic training in New York for the manufacturer. And here I am sitting in this training class. And in front of me is this big stack of books on product knowledge. And it's like, it's overwhelming, right? And uh, there was so much to learn. Well, 
you know, but we learn our business. We learn about how to build a home improvement company. We learn about our products. Selling a business is a whole nother learning curve. It's a whole different oh, yeah. skill set. And there, and from terminology to process to the specialists you need to be successful, when done properly, look, it can be an exit of your dreams. And when done incorrectly, you know, it can be an emotional roller coaster too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We just heard a story about a husband and wife team that we know well, not in our business, but they had an exit that you would not celebrate was the way it was said to us. And it was sad because they're good people and they worked really hard to build a business and it wasn't a great exit for them. They basically just got out. You know, well, I think we know, we know people without saying their names that have attempted to sell their business and the, in the final hours, they get left at the altar where the yeah. business didn't close. And I, I, in fact, I was talking to some people uh, yesterday that that is in the very same situation, and now they have to try to figure out how to start over. So, look to me, and it is—it's an emotional roller coaster because it's how do you speak to your team? It's how do you structure your? I mean, you have to have conversations. You have to look. I know when I started my business, it's so much in my heart, right? And to get to that point and then it not go through, I would be a basket case. How about? Oh, yeah. so, so, look, my goal is how do I help people think about things the right way? So, if they do want to get to a place where they sell their business, they can do so with confidence clarity and and a tremendous amount of success so where does it all start yeah i think what we should start with is you know what are people what are buyers and whether it doesn't matter if it's a, a private equity group or a family office what are third parties looking to acquire right the, the interesting thing about our, our industry is is there's no guarantee of any business tomorrow. There's no guarantee. It's not like we it's not like we have 12 clients and it's all this recurring revenue that keeps happening over and over and over again. Every single day we got to go out and make a lead. Every single day we got to go out and convert a lead. Every single day it's a new customer and while we, we try to work a referral program and a repeat customer program, that's not the bulk of the business. It's all it's all new That's people. right. Yeah. So the the buyer has to be confident in the business's ability to do that even after they acquire it, right? So what they don't want to see is they don't want to see a business that doesn't have a clear org chart where the owner is doing everything. They want to see a team of people. Their, their biggest fear is if the owner chooses to stick around, you know, they get hit by a bus and then and then now they have no business. So really the, the first thing that the buyer is buying is they're buying people, they're buying leadership, right? And I think we could probably start there. I've talked about this in the past, I think when it comes to building your leadership team, when you start to go to conferences and such, getting your getting your people, getting your leadership team alongside you at, at a conference. Like if you're going to accelerate, you know, don't just go there if you're the owner by yourself. Bring your marketing manager, bring your production manager, bring your sales manager, because you want to build the capabilities of your people, and you also want to build their brand as well as building your own business brand, because that again helps make your business a little more sellable. Yeah. Now, to, to the people that are listening to this, this is not entirely about selling your business, whether you are selling your business or you're not selling your business. Everything that we're going to talk about here is relevant because, again, whether you're selling your business to somebody else or you're stuck with it for another day, don't you want it to be the best possible business it could be worth the most money possible. So I just don't want to lose anybody with that. So yeah, okay. So they're buying people and they're buying processes. Right. They're obviously buying cash flow. 
Let's talk a little bit about that because that's that's a really critical piece because in some cases, they're not even going to look at you unless you're at a certain point. Yeah. I mean, it depends upon, once again, like who the buyer is, right? Like certain buyers, they they care about what products you offer. You know, they, they don't want a company that's doing 10,000 different things. Some want just companies that do baths or companies that just do windows. Some buyers look for that from a specific standpoint. So it's, it's, it's how is the business making money, but also how complex is the business on how it's making money? How many different how many different product can can a buyer clearly see how the business is make how the business makes money? And to your point, Brian, this isn't about if you're selling the business tomorrow. It, business is, is about value creation, right? How do you create value for your customers? How do you create value for your for your teammates on your team? How do you create value for yourself, for your organization? And and how do you build a business that that is it has greater value? Whether or not you choose to sell the business, that's up to you. But by positioning it with that with that mindset, it keeps one in check on making sure that we're really thinking about things that the right disciplines inside of an organization. So again, if you're doing everything and you're, let's say the business is making $200,000 a year at the end of the year, but you're not paying yourself a salary, well, you know, what's the business really making, right? So that's probably not going to be a very sellable business, but on the same hand, it's probably not a very sustainable business either. Right. Owners are allowed to sleep at night and, and you deserve to sleep at night. Right. Or and, go on vacation. Or go on vacation. Right. All, all those sort of things. So look, when a company gets to be over five, six, seven million dollars in top line revenue, and it can turn somewhere between a 15 and a 20% net profit, look, I think you've got a business that people are going to look at. And the bigger both of those numbers are, the more people are going to want to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of how it works, right? Yeah. And so, okay, five, six, seven million is kind of probably the starting point where you'll start to get people interested, 15 to 20% net. They probably want to be at about a million net plus before they really take a good hard look at you, but they don't want a million net on 20 million in sales. Right. Correct. 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 Because that doesn't, if you think about the the two words, uh, operational excellence, right? You want to be able to demonstrate operational excellence regardless of, of, of size. And of course, the bigger the business, the more you know, EBITDA dollars, the more net profit, the more the, the business is worth. But look, I think five, six, seven million dollars, I think, look, you've got something that is doing well, is more sellable than a business that's doing, you know, 30 million dollars making nothing. So, right. so oh, absolutely. But also, but on the conversely, whether you're selling it or not selling it, you're stuck with that business as the owner. So if you're moving $30 million through your process every single day, every single week, every month, every quarter, every year, and you're not making, you're not putting 15 points to the bottom line. Correct. Why? Why are you going through all of the hassle, all the risk, all the liability? Well, I think it's called a nonprofit, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Your point is valid. And look, I think that if we start like first things first, right? I kind of want to back up for a minute and talk about look, I, I bet there are people on that are watching this right now that have had somebody reach out to them and say, hey, we want to buy your business. And the first thing they ask for is financials. And then the the, the potential business owner sends them the financials. That's not how you sell a business. All right. Yeah. There's a there's a process to it. And it's not magic. It's not a mystery. It's a model to sell a business. And one wants to think about is 
just like when you go into the home and you you have a story that you tell the homeowner as to why a homeowner should do business with you and there's a company story and there's a company demo and all those sort of things it, it's called you have a pitch deck for your homeowner a business should have a pitch deck too and i think it's a great exercise to go through that if a business owner says okay if i do nothing else what would be my pitch deck right what would be my pitch deck what's the story that i want to tell and you know is it a tellable story is it an attractive story because yeah. The other thing that buyers buy, as as my friend Rob Macklin will share, is that private equity groups, they buy stories. You know, they look at a lot of deals, they look at a lot of deals, a lot of deals, and they want to hear about a couple of cool things in this particular business. That's a good story. And that they they buy stories as much as they buy anything else. And that's kind of cool. It's funny you say that because that's my experience. They liked our financials. They liked our people. They liked our product. But boy, they really loved our story. Builder Prime is changing the game for home improvement contractors. Imagine having everything you need to help your business grow in one place. CRM, estimating marketing automation with SMS, production management software, and now call center dialer integration, all wrapped into one easy to use package. And it's never been easier to switch CRMs. Hundreds of contractors trust Builder Prime to grow their businesses with powerful reporting tools to see which leads are making money, which sales reps are the top performers, and where to optimize for the greatest impact. We're talking about winning more jobs, boosting productivity, and delighting your customers. Are you ready to fuel your business growth even faster without all the daily frustrations of your current tech stack? You owe it to yourself, your team, and your business to learn why everyone is switching over to Builder Prime, the only true does-it-all CRM for home improvement contractors. Head over to builderprime.com and request a personalized demo with an expert today. They love the story, don't they? Yeah, they really loved our story. So, okay, so what is that? So let's talk about that. Do you mind breaking down that pitch deck? I mean, look, we can talk 10-step sales system. We know step-by-step what we need to do, but most people aren't familiar with how you put one of these pitch decks together. Can you kind of Tell us the the steps of what this thing looks like. Sure. Now, this is, by the way, you, you might send a pitch deck to somebody. If you if you already kind of know who you're going to sell your business to, you might want to send a pitch deck and send it off to them. If we if we were to say, I, look, I have a business, I'm doing whatever, $8, 10000000 million in, in revenue, I'm super profitable, we're doing a great job. I don't know who I want to send sell my business to. That might be a different approach. It might start off with a with a very generic teaser, you know, replacement window company in Florida doing you know, ex EBITDA is, you know, covering this market. And then, and then you'll get some interest. And off of that, you'll have some private equity groups that'll send you a request for more information. And then, and then you send them a pitch deck off of an NDA. But what goes into a pitch deck is if you think about it this way, it's, it's, how did you get started? What's your timeline, right? Business started here. We then added this, we then added this product and we added that product. So you you tell the story of of the, of the products that you sell. Then you, then you tell the, the story of, of how you do it, right? What makes you special? The, oh, we, we only use employee installers because we, that's how we control quality. Well, we only use subcontractors because that's how we're able to always control costs and, and blah, 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 blah. And it controls our fixed overhead. You paint the picture of why you you, you do what you do. You talk can talk about your warranty work. You talk about your your social proof on the reviews that you have and and what a great organization you are and you know how many and, and so that's you got your history and then you have what it is you do we focus on 
one day bath remodeling. We focus only on replacement windows and, and every job is done in a day. And you, you just tell the story. You might want to talk about also how you market, you know, what your marketing strategy is. Well, we are at fairs and festivals and shows, and there's nothing wrong with pictures tell a thousand stories too. Having pictures of your team at a fair or a festival or a farmer's market or a home show interacting with a customer, you know, it shows that you're active as a business and that makes people feel good. So that's to me, the first few pages of a, of a, of a pitch book. At some point you need to get into what does your org chart look like? Because again, is, is the owner the operator in the business and are they doing everything or is there an actual team in place? Now, look, I bet there, again, there are plenty of listeners today that might not have a clear org chart. I know when my business was early on, if somebody would have asked me for an org chart, I would have had to go make one up because I didn't have one. <laughs> so, but, but again, it's one of those things when we talk about earlier about how do you, how do you make your business better to one day make it sellable? An org chart is a great place to start, right? Yeah. But so anyway, there, there should be some level of an org chart inside of a, inside of your pitch deck. And then there's something called uh, the some sort of stated EBITDA. And just for your listeners, it's different than your net profit. You want to get into what what is your organization's stated EBITDA over the previous over a previous 12-month period, or if it's November and you're putting together a pitch deck, what are you trending to for the entire Tell them year? what EBITDA stands for. Sure. It's spelled E-B-I-T-D-A. And it stands for earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization. Which means if you have a truck that you're that you own and you're depreciating it, that would be an that would be an add back to net profit. So you take your net profit of the business and your net profit number will only get bigger. As another example, let's say you're the owner and you're not sticking around in the business. Your salary then becomes an EBITDA add back. So, and at some point, the buyer is going to pay you some kind of a multiple on EBITDA. They're going to take an EBITDA number and they're going to pay you EBITDA times whatever, times three, four, five, six, seven, eight, whatever, whatever multiple you can get and, and negotiate. So the more you can add back to EBITDA, the better. There are things you can easily add back to EBITDA, as I mentioned, interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization. But there are all the other things that did you, do you bilk your company by driving a company car and you take your kids to Disneyland once a year that the company pays for? All of these things, when you think about it this way, if you are no longer owning the business, you're no longer owning the business. Some other company owned the business. What expenses that the business has today will not continue after you leave? Those things are typically an EBITDA add back. Yeah. When we look at EBITDA and we apply a multiple to it, or they, the, the buyer will apply a multiple to it. Like you said, it could be, I mean, these businesses used to sell if you, if anybody would even want to buy them at a two or a three multiple if it was really 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 well done now during this this boom private equity has found it that has can be doubled it's i've i've seen it anywhere from you know three or four up to you know much much greater than that yeah what it's are settled some, down a little bit. It's settled back. Oh, it's, it has settled down. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Because now they know what they're getting themselves into. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't know what they were getting themselves into. And now they do. Oh, wow. Um, we got we to gotta make a lead tomorrow? I didn't know. I, I don't really. Yeah. <laughs> and we got to spend how much to do it? But the multiple thing is really interesting because that really, I mean, look, if we're if you're making a million bucks 
and your multiples four, you get four million bucks. Simple math, right? right? But now, if your businesses run a little bit more efficient, you have a better story. You're I'm looking, I'm just going down your list. You show them that I've got a diversity in my marketing, meaning I don't rely on three lead sources. I've got a dozen different lead sources that are going to bring me leads. I've got an org chart that's completely filled out and I've got an 18% net profit. Now, instead of a multiple of four, you might get a, I'm just making it up, but you might get a six. So instead of 4 million, now you're looking at 6 million. So congratulations, you just made $2 million for building out an org chart and diversifying your marketing, which by the way, you should do anyway. <laughs> which you should do anyway, which was exactly my point in this. So there you go, listener, that was the exact point. Again, whether somebody else is buying it or you're buying it, don't you want something that runs as efficiently and as profitably as possible? along that way, you know, so let's just imagine for a second. So you send out this pitch deck that where you have some kind of a stated EBITDA. And by the way, the other thing that should be included in your pitch deck is what are some growth opportunities? You know, oh my gosh, we're in the window business. We could add blinds on, even if you haven't, what, what have you dreamed of doing to grow your business? That goes in your pitch deck. All right. That goes in your pitch deck. Oh, we, we could, we, we're doing windows. We should be doing concrete coatings, whatever that thing is, it doesn't matter. We cover this area, we can open up in this market too, and that market also. Things that 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 make a, a, a buyer excited to grow. Remember, they're they're buying a business because they want to they want to throw fuel on it. They want to throw marketing dollars at it. They want they want to scale this thing. They want it, they want to grow and they want to make sure that that you have built a business that's scalable. And or if they need to do a couple of minor tweaks to it, it's then they're not looking to jump in and be the the operators of your business. They're not looking to do that. They're they're looking for your team to run the business. With very few exceptions, they're looking for your team to run the business. So at some point you'll you'll start getting offers back, right? You hope to get an offer. You hope to get what's called a LOI. It's a non-binding letter of intent. And and the, that letter of intent is gonna be. You know, it'll be it'll be one of those emotional moments when you get your first LOI, <laughs> right, Brian? I mean, you, do you recall? Oh God, yes, yeah, yeah. You know who was with me? He's the only, I think, one of the only people that knows all of the ins and outs of the deal is Scott Berman. Yeah. When I got the LOI, he was he was standing right next to me. I'm like, oh shit, we just talked about this. Look at this. Yeah. And he goes, oh, that's a really good deal. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, and it's very emotional. You're right. Very yeah. emotional. Yeah, it's it's like this, you know, it's this validation in right. many ways. It's a, it feels like a validation of all the hard work that that one has put into a business, and now here yeah. it is. What's yeah. very very important is that's only the beginning. <laughs> that emotion can yeah. last maybe what five minutes, right. and that's it. And then put it away because right. it's it's. Uh, oh. Yeah, there's a lot more that has to happen. Do we want to get into what I, I think we should at least touch on some of the should, right? Yeah. Okay. But anyway, so in your letter of intent, it's going to be essentially it's called a, it's considered what's called a non-binding letter of intent. And it's just an agreement and you want to negotiate. You actually want a mergers and an M&A attorney to work with you. You don't want to use your regular attorney. You don't want to use the attorney that is your neighbor. You want a M&A attorney. I, I personally am a big fan of Rob Macklin. I think he's 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 really done a lot of great deals in the home improvement industry. He knows all the the buyers. He knows you know he just knows how to get a deal done. But you know they're gonna they're, they're gonna want to negotiate things like what is the role of the owner after exit? Okay, is the is the owner sticking around? 
If so, for how long? Uh, at what compensation level? Are you throwing the keys on the desk and you know, do you need to stick around for a few months and consult? Or are you going to be an operator? Is there going to be any, uh, if, if they're paying you whatever, $5 million for the business, $10 million for the business, is it there's going to be some sort of money in escrow? How much is going to be in escrow? What percentage? How do they come up with that $10 million? It's a multiple on EBITDA. What is that multiple on EBITDA that they came up with? Because they're going to want to do what's called due diligence off of that, which we'll talk about in a minute. It's is you know what key employees need to stick around in the business. You know, what are the conditions of closing? Those kind of general things are going. And then, of course, by the way, the one part that is binding is what is the length of exclusivity that the buyer has to go through due diligence? And if you think about due diligence, I think without being without being politically incorrect, it's kind of like a rubber glove examination of your business. Is that fair, Brian? That's a really nice way to put it, actually. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. I, I, I can share with you. I, I won't tell you the, the buyer but one of the buyers of the businesses that I sold, the IT due diligence call alone, the initial, the initial call was eight hours long. <laughs> yeah. It's so, due diligence is brutal. It it's is. brutal. And it's funny because ours, I think ours was about 90-ish days. And the first 60 days did not involve lawyers. When the lawyers get involved, oh my, I thought it was bad before they got involved yeah. when they got involved it was it became a nightmare but yeah so what'll happen is the buyer will send you some sort of a checklist some sort of a due what's called a due diligence list and it's yeah. going to have all kinds of questions on it's going to have questions about your sales model it's going to have questions about how you compensate sales reps about your marketing methods how you compensate marketing people your installers they want to make sure you know and when we're talking about these things it also ties into what blows up deals, right? Because we we need to talk about what kills deals. And sometimes employees aren't classified properly. This is why you want to get an M&A attorney or a specialist involved sooner, because you don't want a deal to blow up. You want to make sure that are all your employees classified properly? Are they being compensated yeah. right? Are your terms and conditions proper? Are all these, your structure right? So that you're going to have all these checklists and they're going to ask for a ton of information. And that information goes into something called a data room. And think of a data room as a virtual Dropbox that obviously the seller wants to control, but but your attorney would help set that up. And all this stuff. So it could be, okay, the lease that you signed 17 years ago, where is it? They need a copy of it. The, yep. You know, just all of these things. and right? Every document you've ever signed, they <laughs> want to see. Then you'll go through the wonderful task of what's called a Q of E report. It stands for quality of earnings. And now you're you'll somebody on your, hopefully you'll have somebody heading up your accounting, the financial part of the due diligence where they'll take your business and they'll turn it upside down and make sure that the 12 months of EBITDA is true. They're going to do a deep dive analysis on your financials. And that's where you can either make or, or that's where you can lose ground if, if your financials aren't in order. Yeah. And it blows up deals sometimes. Yeah. But if you do it okay. right. It could be amazing. So, so then we get through, we get through the due diligence. They yeah. say, okay. And now what? Here's due what's going through done. my mind at the, every single time I sold a business. And it's, and I promise you it'll go through yours. It's holy smokes. Okay. I'll tell you a quick story. All right. When I sold, I sold my Arizona bath business. I did really well off of it. Right. I'm very fortunate. 
I sold my tundra land business and I did really, really well off of it. Very fortunate. And I'm in Arizona and my wife sees me out on the porch and she sees me scrolling on my laptop on a website. And she's like, what the heck are you doing? And I was on Indeed looking for a job. <laughs> I'm like, okay, if I sell my businesses, what am I going to do? So I'm going to have to find a job, which is crazy. Again, part of the emotional roller coaster that I think we as, as business owners go through is, what am I going to do with my time? What, what does this mean for me? What, what do I tell my people? What do I tell them? How do I announce this to the company? Are, are people going to be disappointed? Are they going to be, am I going to let them down? Is, is it going to be a good culture fit? You know, I've been very fortunate that I sold the businesses to, to good organizations that, that care about the people. So yeah. I've been fortunate that way. Whenever anybody asks me about selling their business, one of the, the biggest pieces of advice that I have for them is have something to roll yourself into. Because if you just exit, especially like at our age, I mean, what are yeah, right. we can't sit around. We work right. too hard. We have, there's momentum. There's people that know us. People are going to call you and people are going to ask you to, but we're not going to stop working we're not just going to go off and you know buy a, you know get a yacht and go cruise around the world we'll get bored off of our asses real quick yeah. but what happens is there's some statistics on this but within 6 months of a sale if the entrepreneur doesn't have something to occupy their time they get really depressed yeah and it's a it's a big problem with with people and i know with me even though i had something to roll into the first 3 months are great it's like, oh, okay, look, look at what we did. And oh, this is great. But then you start to start to think, well, okay, now what? Yeah. What does the rest of my life look like? And I think a lot of people don't realize what a big slap in the face that could be and how difficult that time can be if they don't think it through ahead of time. I think they have to first be very clear on why they want to sell their business. Yeah. What's their why? Yeah. Right. And just, just be really clear on that and understand that hey, maybe, maybe somebody does want to sail around the, the world and that's fine. But, but yeah, I mean, I've, I found for myself, fortunately, I'm an investor in several other businesses. I got lots going on, I, you know, and, and I, you know, I'm super happy. The, the difference is I don't have to be in the day to day. I don't have to deal with Mrs. Jones's leaky shower anymore. You know, yeah. that's, and that to me is, is kind of nice. <laughs> yeah. Really nice. You know, the other thing that's not talked about a lot and it's it's it just goes along also with creating a business that works and becomes super profitable and once the business starts to make say a million dollars a year or yeah. more you you have to start to think about money in a very different way and then when you get when you do get a big check i mean for a, for some people a big checks two or three million bucks for some people it's 20 30 others it's two or three billion the number doesn't matter it's how are you going to process that information and how do you now become a, how do you say it? Like a steward of that money? How do you, you know, you have to learn now how to be a rich person. Yeah. I mean, look, and, and also, especially because like most entrepreneurs in this space, it's not like, it's not like we went to a university and, and right. had a lot of money behind us. We opened up a business. We rubbed two nickels together, right? right? And if you have kids, you know, one of the things that that my wife and I are always conscious of is, you know, we've been, again, we've been very fortunate. We've been paid multi-generational wealth for our business. And we know that no matter what, our kid's life is going to be different because of it, right? Yeah. But we and don't your grandkids. 
and our grandkids, right? But we don't want to rob our kids of their own entrepreneurial grind. Yeah. And what does that mean? And how do we, you know, how do we, we now have to teach our kids something very different. And that's, you know, it's just interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's great. Well, this has been, this has been great, Brian. There's always a lot more that we could talk about, but I'm looking at the clock here now. Let's talk for a minute. So you are coming to Accelerate. Yeah. Um, you are doing a presentation called Beating Goliath. Correct. And um, I'm really excited. Tell everybody a little bit about what you're going to be presenting on. I wanted to come up with something that would be a cool and appropriate topic for the environment today. We were yeah. just talking about selling your business, right? But I'm sure you have somebody in your market that most likely got acquired by some bigger company and you have, yeah. you're competing, or maybe they didn't get acquired. And maybe you just have this monster company in your market, this Goliath, and you're beating your head against the wall. How do I beat Goliath? Well, look, what I want to do is I want to, again, I want to show you that that building a wonderful business, it's, it's not magic. It's not a mystery. It's a model. And what I want to do is I want to share that model with you that you can plug into your business and you will no longer think of Goliath as the competitor. Instead, you will compete against yourself to constantly get better as an organization. And that's exactly where you need to focus. And that's what we're going to be talking about. And by the way, Accelerate, such a great event, terrific event. I hope everybody watching comes because I, I just love it. I think it's a, it's a great venue. You've got You've got the best speakers that come to this thing. It's really, you do, yeah, you do a really special job. I'm really excited about, about this February too, because um, yeah, we've got a great lineup of speakers. We have the whole hotel basically to ourselves. So there's no competing with another group in there. It's, it's, it's really going to be exciting. And uh, tickets are going quick. We're way ahead of our, our goals. So uh, that's good. Hopefully we will we'll sell this one out again. But Brian, thank you so much for uh, being here. Hang out for just a minute with me. And uh, to everybody listening, I hope this was valuable. And remember, it, this is w this conversation was not only about selling your business. It's always all about how do we create a business that works for us? Why wait until some future time later for some event that may or may not happen? Why not put the pieces in place today to build the business, to give you and your family everything that you deserve, to build the wealth you deserve, to get, have the success you deserve, the freedom you deserve? Why not do that now? And if later on somebody wants to come and write you a great big check for it, even better. But why not use the business starting today to get the success and the wealth and the freedom that you crave so much and you deserve so much. So with that said, until next time, this is Brian Kaskavalsian and this is the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. Thanks for being here. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode. For insights on skyrocketing your home improvement business and accelerating your journey to the success, wealth, and freedom you've always dreamed about, be sure to get your free copy of my best-selling book, The Seven Secrets to Becoming a Wealthy Contractor at www.thewealthycontractor.com. And don't forget to follow us on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. See you next time.